Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. Whoop, whoop, it's the police. Don't look in your rearview mirror. This podcast covers the latest police news, along with hitting the hot topics you've been talking about all week. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Okay, folks, thanks for joining us again. Hopefully you had a nice weekend, but uh, welcome back to Police Pod Talk. And again, I'm your host, Cleveland. Today, we are pleased to have with us on Police Pod Talk, Dottie Davis. Uh, she is a retired uh, Fort Wayne police officer. She also was a security director for the Fort Wayne Community Schools. She owns her own business. She is a business consultant, and she does a lot of threat assessment for different businesses, schools, and things like that. But, uh, Dottie, you can say hey to the listeners out there. Good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> That's about all I'm going to get out of you on that one. That's okay. Uh, Dottie and I go way back, uh, and I'm, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm pleased to have her here today. And we're going to discuss um, some things that she talked about in the newspaper Back in October, uh, she was here in Fort Wayne. Uh, there was a presentation that she put on at the Arch United Center here in Fort Wayne where she talked about active shooters or mass shooters in Fort Wayne and the different uh, things that we should probably be aware of. But I'm going to let Dottie do a lot of the talk and then I'll throw in some questions. Uh, Dottie, again, I'm so happy that you, you're joining us here today. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show, sir. <laughs> sir, wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dottie, kind of explain to us, I mean, you were a foreign police officer, how long, and then how did you slowly get into all these other things after retirement? Let's, let's hear it and then get into your business there. Sure. Um, so I was with the Fort Wayne Police Department for just shy of 32 years, and I was fortunate enough to be able to rise through the ranks from sergeant to lieutenant to captain and then retiring as a deputy chief. And during uh, my tenure with them, I had the opportunity to attend many trainings and uh, to receive a lot, a lot of different certifications. And all of those tools certainly helped me prepare for my next career, which was in the security field, working for the school corporation and uh, keeping 30,000 students and about 5,500 employees safe. We are the largest school corporation in the state of Indiana, so that was hmm. a very large task. I didn't know that. Yes. That was, so uh, when you say you had to keep them safe, what was your responsibilities at that time? Um, to be real honest with you, it was very, very fluid because uh, with that many moving parts and with us living and working in an urban environment, mm -hmm. we would perform approximately 90 school lockouts a year because of threats to the exterior of our buildings, things that were unfolding, shootings, stabbings, armed robberies, and the police presence then would uh, force us to put our schools in a lockout mode because of that exterior threat. Um, we also you know, work closely with our transportation division. We transport uh, about 8,000 students a year as well. So from approximately 6.30 in the morning until approximately 6.30 at night, um, that is a full day, and you have athletic events then also on top of that. So whenever the schools were open or operational, whenever there were events, then I was on call to make sure that we managed any potential threats to our buildings. So you were responsible also for hiring the officers who worked in the schools? Correct. We employ about 100 off-duty officers and then contract with Allen County uh, Sheriff's Department and Fort Wayne Police Department to provide approximately eight school resource officers in our middle schools. Okay. Now, 
Had you ever thought about having a police department only for schools? Absolutely. That was actually a part of my job to investigate to see whether or not that was something we would want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we are a very large entity. We're a large corporation. But um, as you well know, in order to form your own police department, that means that you have to have a training facility. You have to be able to equip them not only with uniforms, but also firearms and also vehicles. And then there's a huge liability that goes with that as well. So the answer was no, you were not going to get into that. Absolutely. I actually visited some other school corporations here in Indiana who have formed their own police department. And as you also know, right now it is not as easy to hire law enforcement. Um, Not as many people are attracted to the profession where we used to have 800 applicants. We may Hmm. see 200 now. And it's not just Fort Wayne. That's across the nation. So outfitting and then also staffing your own police department is very very difficult see now you just brought up another question i want to ask you here so why is that number dropped so i think a lot of it has to do with uh, perception of policing i don't believe that people understand a good police officer their number one skill is their their verbal skills mm. it is their communication skills it mm. is not going hands on and um, good officers uh, have always done community-oriented policing they are the officers that are out meeting the people that they police and that they are to protect and I think if more people understood the emphasis on communication and probably about 95% of our job is communicating with people about 5% is hands-on but unfortunately because of television and because of media people think that's just reversed and it's not true at all (laughs) well it's funny we we had Mike Joyner on uh, last week but his show won't air till later and he was talking about the almost the same thing Uh, he believed that if uh, well part of what he believes is if you raise the pay uh, it would attract more people to it but you don't think that's maybe the the number one thing? I I also, I mean, I don't think that's the number one thing because people, young people today have um, different aspirations. When you and I joined, we Mm -hmm. were looking for a career. Oh, yeah. It wasn't a (laughs) J-O-B. It wasn't just paying my bills and moving on. It was, this is what I want to do for Mm -hmm. a long period of time, and I have goals in five years, 10 years, 15 years. And and now people are like, if I'm here in five years, cool. But if not, I might be going over to General Motors. Right, I got you. It's just a totally different mindset. Got you. And I didn't want to get you too off (laughs) off track on that, but I'm glad you brought that up because we were actually talking about that last week. So all the things you were learning on the police department, all the things that you were uh, soaking in, you eventually took that and you used it in the the schools, but then you also branched off into a business. Uh, Tell me about that. So actually in 1992, and it's ironic that I can just tell you what year it was, I had a captain, Bill Nelson, you may remember him. He's recently passed. Mm -hmm. Um, Bill Nelson offered me the opportunity to become an instructor. Okay. And so I went away to get a 40-hour certification mm-hmm. as an instructor in the state of Indiana. And originally I was just teaching on domestic violence and effective response to that problem. Okay. And it really morphed. I found that I really enjoy public speaking, mm-hmm. that I like being in front of an audience and I like networking with people. Mm. And because of that opportunity, 
it allowed me to really grow as a person. Um, hmm. It allowed me to see where my strengths were and areas for improvement. Um, I recently um, just was accepted to the International Association of Chiefs of Police to be an instructor for them. Really? Um, so, you hmm. know, I'm retired from law enforcement, but because of my background and experience, right, right. then um, they want me teaching some of their leadership courses. So I, I'm, it's been awesome. So that happened in 1992. In 2000, I formed my own company, and for several years, I was able to manage a full-time career and then do consulting on the side by mm-hmm. taking vacation days um, and <laughs> and training. And okay. in February of this year, I actually uh, had a hard talk with myself and with my spouse and said, I really think I just want to do consulting full-time. What do you think? And um, it literally was a leap of faith. I prayed on it, and um, what happened was I got this huge contract in Atlanta, Georgia, and it was like, for me, a sign that it was meant to be. So I left February 1st, and I have been blessed. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to do that. You got to go to grow. You know, that's what I always heard. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the name of the company? It's okay to say the name. So it's Davis Corporate Training. Okay. And um, my tagline is protecting citizens, communities, and corporations through education. There you go. And it is a, people ask me, so what does your company do? And mm-hmm. um, the best way for me to sum it up is just to tell you that we do violence prevention work. So I do training on workplace violence prevention, but I also do for communities, how do you work together to have a coordinated response to certain issues? So it could be dealing with individuals who are mentally ill. It could be dealing with, um, you know, domestic violence and Hmm. high rates of arrest and uh, recidivism. It it could be a wide variety of things. Um, And I also specialized in vulnerability assessments Um, by coming to companies and looking at the geographic location, um, looking for exterior threats. And people, when they think about exterior threats, they look around and go, well, we don't have any crime around here. Right, but where's your railroad crossings? How close is your nearest uh, flea bag motel? (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was a technical term. Well, yeah, that's an old school term, too. (laughs) I don't think we can say that anymore, can we? Uh, well, I just did. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's out there now, folks. <laughs> and um, then once we've assessed the exterior, then we'd look at the interior. We'd right. look at what their security infrastructure is. And then on top of that, um, what we find is you can buy all the bells and whistles. Right. There are a lot of vendors who oh, want yeah. to sell you all these things. Mm-hmm. But um, human error will always default. Mm. Oh, yeah. So you, you're like a threat assessor. That is okay, correct. and um, I guess the best. Um, well, I'm not going to get into what I know. I'm going to keep going on. You <laughs> almost drifted off, folks. Sorry. Back to this uh, article in the Journal Gazette. You said in the article, and I'm just quoting the article here: "A mass shooter would find Fort Wayne is full of sitting ducks." Do you remember saying that? Well, that's a little bit out of context because it wasn't the full sentence there. Um, it was in response to a question about how easy would it be um, to walk in here and, and perpetrate such a crime. Okay. And because people are so situationally unaware, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we are so, especially, uh, and I, I shouldn't say especially, but you can see it daily. Just go and sit at any large 
parking lot and watch people when they get out of their vehicles. They are instantly on their phone. Mm-hmm. They have not even selected their parking spot. It's the one that's open. Right, okay. And it could be wedged in between two vans where you're going to be totally invisible for a minute. Okay. They get out, they're on their phone, they're, they're focused on the front door. As far as the mm-hmm. entry, they haven't picked anything. They haven't even picked up on any exterior threats around them. Right. And the same thing when they come out then, they've lost their vehicle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They lost their car because they don't remember where they parked because they weren't paying attention. Okay, you must have saw me do that the other day. Didn't you? <laughs> I was at the mall. And then you hit your door unlocked. Exactly. And then the that's... alarm. And then, yeah, oh, there it is. <laughs> exactly and Just me. wait till your hearing goes. Then you're in big trouble. Okay, Mr. now see, now you're talking about how old I am. Now that's wrong. <laughs> so this happens not only in Fort Wayne. I think this is a, a wide across the, you know, the board here that people yes. just aren't aware of their surroundings. Well, and... To the point that when I give a presentation on workplace violence prevention, um, you know, I always get uh, feedback, either verbal or written mm-hmm. evaluations. Right. Um, and it is not unusual at all for people to say, she scared me. Okay. Yeah. And my point now when I do the presentation, I will say, this is not to scare you. This mm-hmm. is to raise your awareness. Right, right. And if you start thinking differently, then I've done my job. Right. So you had another quote, and you said, hiding and hoping it's not a strategy. Amen. So, now, so with that being said, and we're going we're to narrow this down to schools. I mean, because you've had a lot of school shootings, near misses at schools, uh, uh, which is good. Uh, kids are telling. People mm-hmm. are, are saying things. See something, say something. Let's narrow this down to schools. I mean, we have all these schools here. You were part of the school system. Are our schools prepared? Some. Some of them. I will say that. Some. um, One of my um, learning points from working in schools and around schools and continue to contract with schools to do assessments is that nothing bad's ever happened there. Uh, In Indiana, we've had two school shootings, Noblesville and then Richmond. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had tons of near misses, as you said. Um, We've recovered firearms from campuses, Mm -hmm. or we've received information, recovered the firearms from their homes. Because nothing bad has ever happened, folks, I believe, are ill-prepared when it comes to drills, we're required now by law to do each, each semester a lockdown drill. Right. But still, we have a lot of schools that believe the best thing to do if there's an active shooter. They're not even talking about armed intruders. They're talking about active shooters. Right. So they've narrow, so narrowly focused that mm-hmm. threat. Mm-hmm. People are going to miss the ones that are armed with a knife or a club or anything else that could be a weapon. Right. They're still going into the turn off the lights, lock the door, and hide. Well, hiding under a desk or in a cabinet or behind a door, as you know, Cleveland, there are very few things that are bullet resistant. Right. You know? And that's not, people still think that there's bulletproof this and bulletproof mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Maybe the White House, but, you know, there all these tables and desks in here, they're, they're particle board. And it's, oh, yeah, it's yeah. going to penetrate. And so right. hiding and hoping is not a strategy. We know that movement, being able to evacuate, is your best option for survival. Now, back when my kids were in high school, I told them, I said, 
if it were to happen, I say, you break a window, you pick up a computer, you throw through that glass, you jump out, and I say, well, here's our meeting place. I gave them a meeting place where I would meet them. I said, I'd rather see you fighting to get out, running to get out and get shot than sitting in a corner somewhere. Right. I said, they can replace that window. Right. I said, and the, what, you got three floors? I said, stretch your body as long as you can and drop. I said, it would limp to your way to meet me at our, our safe place. And you agree with that? Uh, 100%. The problem is, Cleveland, and you are... <laughs> the problem is, is that you have talked to your kids and you have mentally prepared them. If you don't have those conversations with the adults in the building, it is foreign to them. What they think is, that's a window. I'm looking at one right now, and it doesn't open. So it's not a viable escape. E- escape. Oh, I got you. Yeah. And and I'm like, you need to pick up the chair and throw it through there. And they're like, but won't maintenance and operations be mad if I break that window? It's that mindset. I got you. We think differently. But that's part of the preparation plan is giving people the authority to know that they individually mm-hmm. in charge that they don't have to wait on the principal let's look at sandy hook the first person the shooter took out was the principal the second person the shooter took out was the school psychologist hmm. that person was number two in charge so number one number two were taken out the rest of the staff didn't know what to do because they'd never been put in charge mm. So that is one of the things that you have to do with school safety is give people the authority to make decisions. Do I have the ability to call 911? And do I have the authority to evacuate the building? And it should always be yes. Mm -hmm. I got you. My, okay. You also said something in here that, again, I, I believe some of this stuff is because of your background. You're in law enforcement. People seem to think you're paranoid more than the, the average Joe. Uh, I get that a lot. But you said that you do something with your husband when you go into a restaurant. You guys will play the what-if game when you go to different places. Explain that to our listeners. <clears throat> I'm ready to choke here. <laughs> Excuse me. So it's not just a restaurant. It could be uh, us walking down the street right here. Mm-hmm. We are constantly looking around for potential threats. Right. And it is not paranoia. It's reality. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather be prepared to react to a situation than be a sheep. That be walking around um, like an ostrich with my head in the sand. So we do. We look at... Many of you will remember the old Highlights magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a kid, one of these things does not fit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when we're at a restaurant... It's 80-some degrees outside. We see somebody walking in with a hoodie up with their hands in their pockets, and they're witnessing. You know, they're looking right and left to see right. who's going to witness their ill behavior they're about to perform. Right, right. He and I are both like, you got that? Yeah, I see that. Mm-hmm. And we're with other couples who don't have the same background, and right. they're still sipping their cocktail, and they're totally unaware of what's around them. <laughs> so th- this actually took you years to develop this. This is something that didn't happen overnight. It didn't, but I was also raised in a household where um, my father was a gunsmith, you know, so I've been dealing with firearms since I was eight years of age, shooting and reloading ammo. Okay. So I think that background as well, and um, and then joining a paramilitary organization, right. certainly, right. and working, uh, you know, in inner city car for years and mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. all of those things, I think, made me much more situationally aware than others. But this also helped you to be able to look at a situation and 
filter out what's important and what's not important. Sure. Now, again, that took years to do, right. to know what's a threat and what's just nothing. Well, not only that, but as you know, you have to stay up on stuff. You you have got to stay in tune with what are the latest apps out there, what are the latest tracking devices out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to train uh, victims of domestic violence, you know, turn off your locating device and your cell phone. Now I have to tell them, look over your head for a drone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's new now. Okay. You know? I guess I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the, the threats are real, but trying to get people to see it and believe it. Do you think that's going to happen? I mean, okay, tell a parent. I'm a parent. My kids are going to school. I don't have the bulletproof backpack like I've been seeing them advertise that stuff. What can you tell parents now? What should they be concerned about? What should they look for? Give me a, I'm a parent. Come on. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of parents listening. So definitely I want to know whether or not the schools are vetting visitors and volunteers. When I say vetting, I want to know that it's not that I just walk up and hit the intercom, the A phone that's at the Mm -hmm. front door. Right. And somebody has a camera and I hear the door go click there needs to be some screening exterior wise and it used to be people would say to me well they're yelling and screaming so we let them in to figure out what they want and I'm like (laughs) why well because we're about customer service but if they're already irate today is not the day they are paying a visit to your building you have the authority to say to them what is the purpose for your visit and they're yelling and screaming and cursing and you say I appreciate that you're upset, but today is not the day that I'm going to be able to solve that issue. If you would like to leave and call us on the telephone, we'll set up an appointment with you, Mm -hmm. but you're already irate, so we cannot allow you into the school. The safety of all children here and staff members is paramount. So that goes back to you. They have to empower their employees to feel that they have the right to do that. And training. Okay, and training. All right. And that goes with the school. But again, I'm a parent. I'm going to drop my kid off. I need to know what about this school. What do I need to know to keep my kids safe? I need to know they have a secure vestibule. That not only are they screening on the exterior, but they have the ability to lock that person, just like a bank or a credit union. They see them come in, and now they see them armed with something, Mm -hmm. or now they're starting to act crazy or a fool. They can mag lock, hit a mag lock. They can lock them into that vestibule. They can still exit out, Mm -hmm. but they can't get any further into the building. I need to know that doors aren't being propped at that school. I don't care if they have air conditioning. I don't care if it's 80 degrees in there. I mean, I do care. I shouldn't say that, but (laughs) safety is always most important to me. And it takes seconds for me to get into a building. When I do assessments, you know, I, I usually dress in a suit or I dress professionally. I'll have a backpack on. I'll have my phone out taking photos of the exterior. Do you want to know how many times I am out walking around the building taking photos and a staff member will open a door and say, do you need in and will permit me entry? And they don't know me from Adam. So you're doing this on purpose. Yes. Sir. And then you explain to them later that was you. So when <laughs> wow. I do the final summary report to the superintendent uh-huh. and his or her administrative staff. Right. I have dates and times and locations as to when I was able to gain entry, and they're always just dumbfounded that I've been able to do it. Right, right. So, okay, the parent, they got the lock down. They can lock them in the the little area and keep them from coming in. What else does a parent need to know? Have they pre-established evacuation locations, and do people know that that is a nonlinear plan that 
depending on where that intruder is, that mm-hmm. today, yeah, sure, we normally go out door one when there's a fire drill, but no, today the threat is near door one, so we're going to exit to the east, the west, whichever it is. Um, we're going to talk about what those evacuation points are, and mm-hmm. then every building should have a reunification location. And people now, now, what did you just say there? Because yeah, hey, I'm on you. I'm going to explain. That kind of went over my head, but go so, on. <laughs> a reunification location. Okay. It is not synonymous with an evacuation point. Okay. It sounds like it, but it isn't. A reunification is, as you know, if there's a critical incident at a building, there's, mm-hmm. let's just say there's a building collapse. Your loved ones are going to rush here and oh, they're yeah, going to yeah. not going to get anywhere near it because what? It's a crime scene. That's right. And so they're going to be frustrated and they're going to be trying to force the perimeter mm-hmm. and the cops aren't going to let them through and, and it's just going to be ugly. And so what we do is we establish for every one of our schools that I work with is you have to establish a location that is not within visual line of sight oh, yeah, yeah. of that building okay. where all parents and loved ones of employees and the staff and the students, whoever is in that building, will know to report, Mm -hmm. and that is where you send your public information officer, that is where you have your EAP, so your mental health providers will be there because there's gonna be a lot of emotions. Oh, yeah, yeah, And we wanna try to de-escalate some of that. And then once you, since you work here, Mm -hmm. and this is where the crime scene is, once you are medically cleared and you have been cleared by the police, they no longer need you for statements and that, then we will transport you to that reunification gotcha. site and you will be reunited with your family. For students, what's really important is we need to have that emergency contact information there to know that you and your wife aren't separated, mm-hmm. there isn't a custody issue, and uh-huh. I'm not releasing the child to you and you're not supposed to have them. <laughs> gotcha. So there's a gotcha. lot of moving parts, but do you yeah. see if you don't pre-plan that, how much more chaotic it's going to be. Right. And by able to tell parents, here's your reunification side of something that oh, happens yeah. here. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, thank you for thinking of that. Hmm. Yeah. And that, that site really wouldn't have to change. No. Because, no, I mean, it's not like the school's going to move to another spot. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's, I guess I never even thought of that part of it either. A lot of the parochial schools, private schools, mm-hmm. because they don't employ uh, security personnel. Right. They really need a little bit of assistance to understand some of that information. So if I were a parent, who would I approach in the school and say, hey, um, do you guys have these things? Who would you talk to? Yeah, so I will tell you that what I found um, across the country is that generally the person who's in charge of facilities is their security person. And... <laughs> That is one of the things that really bothers me is that the person who's in charge of security really should have a security background. Right. Yeah. Really should have a law enforcement background mm-hmm. or some mm-hmm. training yep. where they do see things through a different lens. Exactly. I mean, I hear you. you know, a nurse looks at things totally different than a cop does, mm-hmm. totally different than an educator does. And so putting an educator in charge of security when they've never been to a threat assessment training, right. when they've never been to verbal defense and influence, mm-hmm. when they've never been to read interviewing, oh yeah, yeah, all of those things are going to set them up for failure. Wow. I guess I see. I never even thought about this. Is your biggest like I don't want to say clients, but the biggest group you talk to are they schools? No. Those I, schools I, don't want you in, or what? <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. But I mean, school is in the business of educating, right? 
And so if nothing bad has ever happened, it's really hard for them to uh, think about, we need to put dollars towards this issue right. when it's not been a problem. But my favorite line to people is, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Right. So with a lot of this being said now, you were here in Fort Wayne. The number of schools you were overseeing, and you said that you kind of think uh, some of the schools are prepared. Were they doing these things? Did they have the locked doors? Were they to have the relocation or whatever that word you use? Reunification. Did they, were they doing these things while you were here? Absolutely, because um, I wrote the plan. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> and I would tell you the other thing is we wrote an emergency plan template with 53 schools. We're nomadic. I mean, you could be assigned to this school today, right. and then you transfer to another one. I right. need them to know what the plan is, regardless of what building they're in. Right. And and you know, just like cops did, we went to plain language years ago. Oh, yeah, I remember Take that. Take out yeah. the. Signal 100, or I remember one plan I picked up, and it basically said, um, Code Purple, Dr. Robinson in the building. I'm like, what does that mean, Will Robinson? You know? I have, it right, didn't make right. any sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, I, I know a school that does that. <laughs> and so in a critical incident, yeah. you know how it is. Yeah. Is is purple bad, or is it good? Or right, right. Is, is level one bad, or is mm-hmm. it a level three that's bad? And so... Um, taking all that out and just call it what is it. If it's a gun, call it a gun. Right. That was Signal 62. So, yeah, yeah. I remember back when we did that and just spoke <laughs> English mm-hmm. instead of numbers and things like that. So, again, I mean, you made the comment about our schools. and yeah, We're talking about schools, but we're also talking about just you and your life in general, going to the mall, going out shopping, uh, going to the movies, uh, that self-awareness and looking around and playing the what-if game. Uh, that's hard for people who are just living their lives and everything is hunky-dory. They've never been in a fist fight, never saw a fight, and if they did, they backed away. So that's kind of hard to get people to think along those lines that there are bad people out there. I think, what about churches? Because church is the one place that I'm always I'm always strapped. I'm, I'm packing in church because my thought is there's money, right. there's alcohol, <laughs> there's a lot of pockets and things. You don't and, have grape juice? What? No, come on now. Yeah, I don't know what church you're going to, but <laughs> I can get the grape juice at home. <laughs> but uh, do you deal with churches? Do you work with churches? So my husband and I are on our security team at our church. Oh, okay. All right. And we mic up. We wear radios. Um, we have a plan. Uh, we know who on staff is caring. Okay. We know where our medical personnel are in the there building. Um, we know we have a flight nurse mm. on the plan as well. Um, we know where all the exits are. We right. practice that. We say we divvy up who's responsible for what s- sector of right. the church. Right. Um, if there's a critical incident, who's ushering who, where. Hmm. Um, but we can call for a medic, and nobody even knows we're doing it because we all have our mics. And so we're like, hey, I need a medic in the lobby, and the medic comes out to the lobby. Wow. Um, yeah, we were able to get them also. You know, I said, if I'm in the church and I'm, you know, listening to the music and i'm you know grooving with that i'm not paying attention to the the doors behind me and they're all unlocked and so now we assign people into that lobby area and we put up monitors out there so that they can see and hear uh, the sermon that's going on so they're not missing out so they're not missing out right okay 
Um, but we had to have some hard conversations because we also run a daycare there. And so we wow. we had to have some conversations about just willy-nilly letting anybody mm-hmm. in 24-7 mm-hmm. and what that looks like. Right, because, you know, the church is always open. It's open to Correct. anyone. Yeah. But this is a new thing. I mean, when I say new, it's still new. People are not buying into having a gun in a church. They do not like a, a uniform officer staying in a church. Correct. But so we all... Um, are trained. A lot of law enforcement officers attend the church that I go to. Um, we look for people who are printing as well, and which is a topic, a, a subject that people are like, "What?" Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say what printing. What printing is? You know, you're carrying a firearm, but you have a T-shirt pulled uh, over it. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah, yeah. still see the outline yeah, 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 of yeah, the gun. Yeah. And so all of us are like, "Who is that? Do you mm-hmm, know who that person mm-hmm. is? You know, anybody know that individual? Yeah. Oh, okay, he's a paramedic. Oh, okay, he's a reserve deputy. Okay. So we watch for people mm-hmm. who are caring. We want to know where they are in the church. Right. We communicate that to each other. Right. Um, but I will tell you, there are a lot of churches right now that are doing training. I'm doing um, webinars for them on armed intruder, civilian response to armed intruder in their churches so that they think differently. Now, Brotherhood Mutual is big right now. One of the insurance companies is doing a lot of work with churches that they insure on this very subject. Well, okay. And I think, and you can, you can say yes or no to this, I think some of the best people... Uh, who can do this, who can look at a group of people and assess threats like that. You have to take out any kind of your old, um, what people say, well, you're profiling. You can't say, well, because they're black, because they're female, because they look like a, a, a somebody from India or whatever. Mm-hmm. You've got to take all that out and you're looking for certain things, body language, signs, the printing you talked about. Because if you don't, then you'll lose, you'll miss the actual threat if you're looking at just a a person because of their race or color or whatever, right? So we used to talk about what a profile of an armed intruder would look like. Mm -hmm. And we would tell you he was white, male, over 35 and a loner. And we've been wrong. (laughs) Uh, We we changed that whole thought process. Mm -hmm. What we know is that 85% of the time, and this is from FBI data, that the individual who is going to create havoc Mm -hmm has leaked that information to someone so, oh, yeah. or lots oh, of yeah. people. Yeah. They put it on social media. They mm-hmm. tell their parents. They yep. write about it. Right. Um, they are releasing information. And what mm-hmm. we need is for people to pay attention to it. Um, we do know that about 98% of the shooters have, in fact, been men. But they've been of all ages. Right. They've been of all races. Yep. Yep. Um, we've seen like people, Dr. Amy Bishop, um, Harvard grad neurobiologist at Huntsville, Alabama, mm-hmm. shot six of her co-workers oh, yeah. at a Monday morning staff meeting. Yeah. And afterwards, people said, well, she was odd and she was quirky and she was yep. different. She was mentally ill. Yeah. And yeah. nobody wanted to call it what it was. And yeah. <laughs> we have to look for those pre-incident attack indicators. Mm-hmm. People project to us they're going to do this oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. But what happens is, is we say, they're good people from a good family and they would never they're, do that. That's right. And I right. always say, what's your background in threat assessment? <laughs> I went to Gavin DeBecker's Advanced Threat Assessment Academy. Oh, yeah, that's Academy. my guy. That's I love my, yeah. his stuff. Oh, yeah. And so I see things totally different. Yeah. And um, Robert Martin, who is the creator of the LAPD's threat assessment mm-hmm. team, mm-hmm. he says, nobody is dangerous all the time. <laughs> so when people say, is he dangerous? I don't know. What's the context? What's he doing today? Right, right. Because 
because you make a threat doesn't mean you are a threat. Right. 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 Yeah. And so you have to be able to assess the situation Hmm. to know whether or not they're likely to carry through with that. And then if they are, what's your plan? What's your response to exactly? Wow. It's funny you mentioned mentioned the uh, the doctor was a bishop or whatever. Yeah, Doctor Amy Bishop. It's funny. I saw something on TV the other day where there was actually people in their classroom who saw what they thought was a gun in her bag. And then the way she picked it up and carried it. Mm-hmm. And then later that day, she sat in that entire meeting yep. and waited to the end and then shot everybody. I think we see a lot of things and we hope that we're wrong. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> and nobody wants to be the one to tell. Right. And then they'd be wrong. And, you know. you know, I loved that I worked very, very closely with HR mm-hmm. uh, and my former job because if they were getting ready to terminate someone or suspend them. Yeah. That's a catalyst for violence. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I always told them, you know, if you need me in the room, mm-hmm. let me handle the conversation. Right. Because I'm going to set the tone for this meeting. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be respectful and I'm going to treat them with dignity. And the bottom line is I never know when I'm going to see that person again. So I exactly. want them to like me. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to like me as I I'm handing you. them a box for them to pack their desk. Wow. Right? Okay. But that is part of lowering the likelihood of a potentially violent incident oh yeah yeah by handling terminations and suspensions right with, with care wow like i say yeah you said a lot in this uh news article uh that was in the uh, journal gazette and i guess if you just take it for what it is if someone picks it up and reads they go boy she's pretty mean but when you sit back and you think about it you have to ask yourself how prepared am i Mm-hmm. What am I doing to prepare myself and also my family? And you mentioned uh, Gavin DeBecker. I yes, mean, uh, the one book, the first book I read of his, The Gift of Fear. Right. And I mean, that was that just blew me away with how much stuff was in that. Here we are. We're getting to the end here. I want you to uh, throw a plug in there for your, your company, mm-hmm. uh, how people could probably get in touch with you, because I think people need to know what you know or know part of what you know can keep them alive. Go ahead. This is your time. Roll with it. Oh, please. Um, so <laughs> my website is my name, DottieDavis.com. It's D-O-T-T-I-E Davis.com. And if you go on there, you can um, submit um, a request to have a conversation with me. I also get notified when someone's on the web website with what city and town they're in and hmm. I get hits from all over the world uh, with individuals who are, are, are looking for the training that I provide. I do keynote speeches um, for conferences on a wide variety of subject matters, it's definitely women in non-traditional careers. There are a few women in the security field mm-hmm. um, and there are also a few women who have made it to the rank of deputy chief, especially in an agency as large as Fort Wayne. Right. Um, but I would would highly encourage people to become educated. Mm-hmm. Being educated is not going to scare you. It is yeah. going to be eye-opening for you. It is going to allow you to not only think about your personal safety, but maybe it's going to uh, allow you to think about when you're traveling with children. And right. um, you know, here, here's a little tip, folks. Okay. Take off the Klingons on your vehicles with the daddy, the mommy, the dog, the cat, and all of that stuff because pedophiles love them. Ah, <laughs> you're you're projecting to people that you have children, and now they get to follow you home and wait to see where you live, and then can come back and groom your children when, the, when they're playing in the yard. Now that's freaky stuff, but unfortunately, because of all the sex investigations mm-hmm. that I worked, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a little piece of information yeah. that can help protect you. One simple thing: just think differently. Hmm. There are people out there that 
You know, it's it's ten percent of the population that create a hundred percent of the crime. You know that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. From your career. That's right. So I'm not asking you to be afraid of everyone, but right. I'm asking you to look at things right. differently. Pre-incident attack indicators. Learn what they are. Mm-hmm. Those things oh, yeah, are extremely yeah. important. Be protective of your personal space. So if you are interested at all in learning about, um, you know, what I do and Mm -hmm. how I do it, please jump on my website, check it out, um, send me a request, and we'll connect and see how I might be able to help your company. Wow. Give give our listeners, if you can, and I hate to put you on the spot on this, give them one good book to read. Well, I I know you've read a whole lot of them, but give me a good one. You've mentioned The Gift of Fear, but Gavin DeBecker just released another one. It's called Fearless. Oh, and Fearless is really good as well. Um, Amanda Ripley wrote a book on who survives in a critical incident and who doesn't. Hmm. And it's all about the survival men- mindset, right. the, the three stages of disaster response psychology. Um, so I would highly encourage you to pick up Amanda Ripley's book, too. And anybody could, anyone can pick this up and start understanding what's going on yes, and sir. look at life a little bit different. Correct. But you still enjoy life. You still enjoy going out to the movies and eating, and you still can relax and do that, right? Well, I got to correct you. Oh, so boy. <laughs> I don't go out to the movies because, man, you can be in your jammies on your couch and do pay-per-view okay. or Netflix. Shoot, That's right. Okay, I'm not leaving my that. house and do my hair, please. Put on makeup? What? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but my husband and I are foodies, and um, we love to travel. Okay. Um, so I'm getting ready to hop on a plane here and coming up soon to be doing some some training and there you go. Um, so I always <laughs> when I get to uh, whatever city I'm going to find out from the locals what where's the place to eat ah, local I don't okay. do f- food chains um, I like to eat out and so my husband and I we love this town Fort Wayne has some fabulous restaurants huh. and we have family come in from Michigan and Colorado mm-hmm. and they just think we have some of the best restaurants really around. Okay, that yeah. means you need to get out there, folks. That's right. <laughs> and experience it a little bit. <laughs> uh, again, folks, I, I'm so happy to have had Dottie Davis here today with us to explain a lot of what she does, how she got to that point, and, and to wake us up just a little bit because it is real. It's real, but uh, it's not as scary as you think it is as long as you understand what it is. You know, know the enemy, basically. Basically. And uh, that's really it. Dottie? Thank you very much for being with us here today. You're welcome. And uh, folks, again, thank you for hanging out with us. You can email us at policepodtalk. That's all run together, policepodtalk at gmail.com. And if you like to us to talk about anything special, uh, send us that. Or if you have any questions for Dottie, I can always get those to her. And again, uh, thanks for listening. And we will catch you again next week on Police Pod Talk. <laughs>